Hey guys, so glad you're joining us. If this is your first time hanging out with us online for the weekend, uh, my name's Dan, one of the pastors here. Love that you're doing this. Uh, love for you to check us out each week. Uh, better yet, uh, if you're able to come and join us live, we'd love that. Have service at 8 o'clock, 9.30, 1 at 11 o'clock, and also then 1 at 5.30. So love to meet you. Uh, but email, let us know you're checking us out online. Um, we're just grateful to have this opportunity. You jumped in to the middle of kind of a conversation we're having, and this weekend we're having the final conversation of our vision sermon series called Through All, For All. And it's been an exciting time together. We've done some really, really exciting things. It's been a ton of fun. We had this thing called our big event where we had tons of you came out for that. It was so fun to be together. Just a big old family reunion, I would say it was. And then we had vision meetings. If you haven't had a chance to be at one of those, you can go online, check out. Pastor Adam and I did a vision meeting there. There's some exciting initiatives that he's already talked to you about that we're running into together. This weekend, here is our Commitment Sunday. We're really, really excited about that. Many of you want to be a part of that. You can be a part of that online. Uh, let us know you're interested in that. But here's what I want you to know. We're ending our Vision Sermon Series, but it is the commencement or the beginning of our vision journey together as a campus for the next four years that we pray is going to impact the next 20 years, or, or I'd even say more. Some of the things, and I'm going to go in reverse order, kind of trip you up a little bit if you've been following us. Some of the things we're saying is that we're praying the next four years, we'd have a mindset of investment. That literally we get a mindset that advances his kingdom and make that our primary investment. Uh, we talked about this last week. We don't want to be people who waste our life, that Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. And so we want to be a group of people obsessed with the kingdom of God. We want to stir a culture of discipleship, making his final command our first priority. Uh, this weekend here at our campus, we have 16, 17 uh, people somewhere in that vicinity. They're going to be getting baptized, publicly demonstrating that they are followers of Jesus. He said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's going to be an exciting time for us. And then we want a movement of prayer. Movement of prayer, this movement of prayer where prayer becomes like our first uh, reflex or response instead of our last resort. It becomes almost our impulse. Uh, Tuesday night here at our campus, we had this beautiful, wonderful night of prayer together. Many came out for that. Just a great time of going before God together. We'll do that again, and I'd love for you to come and join us at one of those. Um, this is interesting because at the end of this series, we've been kind of uh, looking at one particular verse that's at the end of a prayer uh, that Paul gives in the book of Ephesians. And the verse is, is this. Many of you have heard it before, but if you never have, it says, Now to him, God, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's at the end of a prayer that Paul gives. And I think it's really, really important for us maybe to know that there is part of a prayer that goes before this. I'm going to look at this in depth in a minute here. But Paul gives this prayer, and in this prayer, what he does is he gives us perspective. Uh, there's a perspective that you get when you get high. Uh, this week, my wife and I, this coming week, we're going to be flying to our campus in South Carolina to simply encourage and pray with Pastor Syriac and his wife Gwen. Dear people, God's doing a work there at our Gathering Point campus. 
and uh, looking forward to that. But here's what I know when it comes to flying, uh, I don't fly tons, but I, when I fly, you get so busy about the minutia, the details. Do I have my ticket, the boarding pass? Do you have your ID? Uh, did you pack the right stuff? Did you bring the right equipment? All those things you begin thinking about getting to the airport, finding a parking space, getting to the right gate. So many little details. I love the moment. When you get in the plane, the thing takes off, and the higher you go, the more perspective you get. And you realize that I was so buried in my own suitcase, but I'm actually part of this bigger thing. And you kind of get perspective as to what in the world you're a part of. The whole thing working together. Paul, in Ephesians 1 through 3, gets high. He gets high perspective so that 4 through 6, he can get in the dirt, so to speak. And in this prayer that he gives, he takes us on a ride, a plane ride. He begins by saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Man, if you're writing stuff down, I'd say this, that you and I, uh, the family of God is bigger than we thought. Bigger than we think today. Uh, we saw this at our big event. Many came to our big event. And there were so many people that came to it. And uh, there are people here at our campus. We have four different services and a lot of those people, they only see the people at their service, right? And at the big event, they're like, wow, I didn't realize all these folks were part of the church that I belong to. It was really, really a fun, fun atmosphere, fun event. Uh, but, but it's not just that uh, it's bigger like that. It's like we at the Norton campus are part of a bigger family, that there is a group of people meeting in Sterling, Ohio, in Barberton down the road, in Bath, in Medina, in Ellet and the whole way down in Atlanta and out in Greenville, that we're part of something even bigger than that, that we have a sister church in Mexico, Masalan, Mexico, that 19 of our people just got back from a trip there last week. Uh, we're part of even bigger than that. It's not just the people we have direct connections with, but that all across this world, there are brothers and sisters in Turkey. Let's pray for them in Syria, in China, in Cambodia, in Russia, in Brazil, in Argentina. That's what he's saying, that this Matthew 16 promise, Jesus building his church, which began then to catalyze in Acts chapter 2, when the apostles begin preaching, the church is born. We're a part of that movement. It's bigger than we think. Paul keeps praying, and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with, say the word out loud, power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's saying this, that the family we're a part of is bigger than you think and that God's power working in us is mightier than we imagined, right? It's bigger than we thought. It's his power that, that takes us and transforms us. We're trophies of grace. It's his power at work in us that takes messes and makes them masterpieces. That's what he's saying. He's like, I want you to get the, the perspective of what God's doing, that his power is at work in and through all of us who are followers of Christ. It's a transforming power. It's an enabling power. It's a victorious power. I have written here uh, that I found this quote somewhere, the difference between living a dull and defeated life for Jesus and a dynamic life for Jesus is not trying harder but it's in surrendering more, trusting deeper, obeying longer the God who loves us, saves us, and now wants to resurrect in us the life of Jesus. I love that. 
And then he goes on to say this. He says, I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're part of a family bigger than we thought. God's power at work in us is mightier than we are aware of, right? It's, it's this power at work. And then he says this, the love of God for you is way beyond your wildest dreams. It's beyond your imagination. That's why he says, I want you to grow, to grasp a little more. Uh, I used to pray this for my kids. God, help them to grow in their understanding of your love for them. And he's saying this, that God's love for us, it's so high that it satisfies the holiness of God. That what Jesus did on the cross when God demonstrated his love for us, that Christ died for us while we were sinners, that love satisfied the holy, just God that we worship. That it is so deep, that it is so deep that it reaches to the depth of my sin, which is even greater than I know today. That we keep excavating, we said, our sin, and we realize that his love is so deep, his grace is so deep that it goes to the depths of my sin. It's so wide that it loves me, it loves us, but we said it's wider than that, it loves them. Them, their people, right? Whoever them people are for you, that his love is that wide, it loves them. They don't think like you, vote like you, see the world like you, and God loves them. But it's a long love that nothing can separate us from his love. You see, Paul's praying and he's saying, I want you to get high, this family's big, this power is mighty, his love is immense for you. And once he says that, now we're ready to jump in. You gotta get that to get to the now. Now we're ready. And literally, there is so much here that I just wanna kinda, kinda dole out for a few minutes. Gonna be a little shorter today for a few minutes. He says first, now to him who is what? Say the word out loud, what? Able. He is able God. Martin Luther, 16th century reformer said this, your thoughts of God are too human. I think he's right that he is the able God. I wrote down in my Bible, if you're taking notes, I would write this down, we must let God out of the box. <laughs> we must, whatever box we put him in, we have to let him out. He is able God. A.W. Tozier, pastor and author said this, whatever comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God. And the most important fact about any man, or I would add church, is not what he or they at any given time may say or do, but what he or they in their deep heart conceive God to be like. Our thoughts about God, the most important thing about us. Studies show this. I shared this a couple months ago, that most of us think that God is just like us. He's a little better version of us. He agrees with us. He thinks like us. He votes like us. He sees the world like us. And what, what happens is this, right? We've made a God in our own image. And we begin to compare him to things like Coke and aspirin and hairspray. But here's what we said. You cannot reduce the God of the Bible to a bumper sticker. You cannot reduce the God of the Bible to a cool slogan. You can't reduce him to simply a better version of you. 
that we must let him out of the box. He is able God. Let him out of the box of our experience, our understanding, our explanation, our logic. Let him out of the box of our traditions. Let him out of the box of our religion. He is bigger than we ever dreamed or imagined. He is able God. I was struck by this. If I could just take a minute and turn there. In my Bible reading, I'm reading in the book of Jeremiah right now. And he says this. He's correcting them. And he says, My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. They've committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they're starting to dig their own cisterns, broken cisterns. They can't hold water. He says this, Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize, listen to what he says, how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of him. He's saying this, don't lose your awe for God. Don't lose your awe for God who is able. That the God that we pray to, the God that we worship, the God that we serve is the same God who spoke the world into existence. He's the same God who split the Red Sea. He's the same God who crushed Jericho's walls. He's the same God who took a group of very ordinary men and women and transformed them in a way to start a movement called the church of which you and I are a part of. We cannot afford to worship and follow a tiny God. Our worship will be in proportion to the size of our God. Our faith, our passion, our investment will be in proportion to the size of our God. Can I say it this way? Our vision will be in proportion to the size of our God. I love how one author put it. He said, if your vision doesn't scare you, then both your vision and your God are too small. I love that. He is able God. Look what he says next. He said, now to him who is able, say those next two words out loud, to do. I love that. I have written down in my Bible this, and and, and I want you to write it down somewhere. We must celebrate and anticipate at the same time. I, I watch ESPN. Anybody watch ESPN out there? And they do this top 10 plays of the week or top 10 plays of the day. Uh, we do that here at staff meetings. Uh, when I uh, run staff meeting or even when one of the other uh, leaders lead staff meeting, we, we try to do some version of celebration, a top 10. Because I don't want to forget what God is doing. We have, I hope we never get tired. I hope you never get tired. I hope we never get tired of celebrating what God has done. The God who is able, he has done great things. He is faithful. Over these last 10 years, we've seen uh, over 480 people baptized. We've seen uh, Grace Church go from two campuses to eight campuses. We've seen God do great things, transform lives, heal marriages. We've seen God bring people out of the, the prison of addiction into the hope and the freedom that only Christ can offer. We've seen kids fed one and a half million meals made over the last 10 years. We've seen the beginning of Restore Ministries, a, a residential treatment center for those in addiction to lead them into the hope of recovery that's found in Jesus. 
over and over and over again. We've seen this partnership with uh, Zion Church in Mazatlan, Mexico, shoulder to shoulder, making Jesus make sense. We've seen God use us as a campus to plant specifically uh, baby campuses. We celebrate what God has done. I hope we never get tired of that. But, but, we must never become like Mike's Barbershop. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You ever been to a Mike's Barbershop? When I lived in Indiana, I used to have hair. Can you imagine that? I used to have hair. I used to go. I didn't like paying a lot of money for a haircut. Maybe that's what happened to me. I don't know. But I used to go to this place called Mike's Barbershop. Loved it. Stinky old place. Kind of a, a smoke fog in the place. You walk in. But it was always full of these old codgers, right? These old fellas that be in there. They, most of them were bald. I was like, why are they in here? And it almost felt like it was the same guys every time I went in. And I used to be fascinated because they'd sit around. They'd talk about the good old days. And that's all they ever talked about. They talked about back then, back when, back when they had hair, right? And, and you know something, I, re, I remember this, that every time I went in, it felt like the good old days got gooder. <laughs> Isn't that true? Sometimes we talk about the good old days, they just get gooder and gooder, right? You, you ask me about my, my high school football days, I promise you they're way better today than they were when I played them, <laughs> right? And I would go in there and they'd talk about the good old days and it dawned on me that they'd talk about the good old days and they would literally spend the one day that they had today talking about the days that had already passed. Somebody said it this way, that yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow's a promissory note. Today's the only spendable cash I have. And here's the thing. We dare not get stuck celebrating the good old days at the expense of moving into the good new day he's opening up to us today. Because the God who is able, he's done a lot of great things. He is able, though, I love it, to do. He is busy found this quote somewhere, the church that only talks of the good old days has probably seen its best days already. Man, I don't want to be that church. You remember the story of, of David and Goliath? You remember that story? The whole Israelite army that had seen God do great things, they're scared. <clears throat> this is a fascinating story. You got to check me on it, right? Nobody wants to face the Philistine giant. Along comes David, right? Shepherd boy, just bringing lunch to his brothers, right? He'd get in his nose where it didn't belong, kind of ticked him off a little bit. And he's like, I'll take on that, dude. But you remember what he said? He said, the same God that rescued me from the mouth and the, the, the paw of the lion and the bear, he'll rescue, he'll take care of, he's got this. I got that big dude. I love that. He ran into the next challenge but he did it celebrating. He's like, I anticipate what God's going to do because I can celebrate what he did do. His faithfulness inspires and catalyzes faith forwardness. He is able, there you go, to do. I love this next part, more than all we ask or imagine. Man, those two words there simply mean this, request and to, to, to get your mind around, imagination. I have written in, in my Bible this. You ought to write this down, sir. We must dare to pray able God-sized prayers. Come on. We, we, we have to. That's what he's saying. The assumption is this, that we are asking, that we're dreaming. The church whose God is able is praying big prayers, dreaming big, 
enable God kinds of dreams. That's what they're doing. Our prayers will be in proportion with the size of God that we have. Our dreams, our vision will be in proportion to the size of God that we have. I'm reading this book. I've mentioned it before. It's just kind of wrecked me. I love it. Pray like monks, live like fools. The author of the book talks about how skeptical he was at age 13 of this whole Jesus thing. He says, at 13, I thought to myself, look, if the story's real, I want in. But if it's a fairy tale, I'd prefer to be out sooner rather than later. So I don't waste so much time singing mediocre songs and sitting through all those meetings. I love that, right? He had a mentor that came to him and challenged him. The challenge was this. What do you think will happen in the lives of your unbelieving friends at school if every day for the entire summer you walked a circle around your school and prayed for them? He took the challenge. He got a school directory, and every day that summer, 13 years old, he walked around his school praying for every last classmate in that school. When school opened, he asked his principal if he could start an extracurricular group uh, just talking about Jesus at 6.30 in the morning. What a great time to gather 13-year-olds, right? And he said it was unbelievable to him what began to happen. He learned something about God. He learned something about prayer. He began praying in an able God-sized way. It makes me, what are the big prayers you're praying I read this somewhere that if God answered all the prayers that you prayed this week, what would be the result? Like, sometimes our prayers are so small, it's like we, well, you know, my, my toe got fixed. Like, What would be the prayers? What are the big things you're imagining? What are the big dreams you're dreaming? What are the big things you're praying for your family, for your neighbors, for our community right now? What are the big things you're praying for your school, for our church? I've shared this many, many times uh, here at our campus, but when I was planting the church in Indiana, I called old pastor in Pennsylvania and said, would you help me out? Nobody would help me out. I, I just need somebody to give me some advice, somebody to help me out. He said, sit down, Dan. He said, uh, I'll give you the first five things you should do as a church planner. I was so excited. I was going to get some practical help. He said, number one, I would pray. I'm like, I kind of figured that'd be one of the five, so I'm, I'm ahead of you. He said, okay, you got number one down. Then number two, here's what I'd write. And I was ready. I couldn't wait for that, that, that magic bean. That, that just, oh, man, it's going to like, he said, I'd pray. I'm like, well, two out of five. Now what's the third one? He said, I'd pray. And he said it five times. I hung the phone up. I was so mad. I was so mad. I'm like, you were no help whatsoever. Until God wrecked me, crashed in. And I began leading that small group of people to pray. There were 12 of us in the entire church, and I think six came to the first prayer meeting. We began praying for people by name. And I need to tell you something. Nothing happened at first. Nothing. Praying for lost people by name. Praying that God would do something that, that wasn't even possible, humanly speaking, with six people just burying their faces in those old wooden pews. We began to pray. And I remember God kind of opening the doors of opportunity that we never could have seen coming. God beginning to save people that we were praying and pleading with him to move into their life. You see, here's what I know. He is able to do more than we ask or imagine. 
And it means this, that in this movement of prayer moment, in this movement of prayer that we're going to ask God to do what only he can do. Which leads to this, I love this, according to his power at work within us. Do you see this? I have this written down here in my Bible. Able God is at work within us to enable us. Uh, maybe you ought to write it down this way. Able God is at work in us to enable his work to be done through us. Able God is at work in us to enable his work to be done through us. It has been God's habit to use ordinary people surrendered to his extraordinary power. Did you know that? Read the story of the Bible. It is his habit to use ordinary people. He took a childless couple and he looked at the, the man and he said, I'm going to make you the father of nation of a nation. Uh, he took a stuttering shepherd. He said, you're the one who's going to lead my people out of Egypt. He took the youngest of a group of, of warrior boys and he said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He took a fearful and, and hiding uh, man who was in his wine press and he said, you're going to be my warrior to defeat the Midianites. Now, he took just a group of ordinary fishermen and he said, you're the ones I'm going to use to catalyze this movement called the church. I love this quote that I found from a guy named Frank Bertelman. He said, the father isn't looking for those who are flashy, charismatic, highly gifted, or accomplished to use for his mighty purposes. Instead, down through the history of his people, he used ordinary men and women who had an earnest desire to be close to him. They wanted most of all to humbly do whatever God asked of them. Give him all the glory for whatever good that happened. The Lord's heroes will rise from the dust of the obscure, even despised circumstances. He draws from the deepest seclusion the weak instruments by which he purposes to accomplish great things. His power at work in each of us who've surrendered our heart, our life to Jesus Christ. It's the power to change us. It's the power to refine us. It's the power to give us courage to enable us to do what he's calling us to do. It's the same power, Ephesians 1, that said, raise Jesus from the dead. It's the power to be his witnesses. It's the power of a resurrected life, the power of a changed life. His power is made perfect in weakness. It's his power that vanquishes and crushes fear. Do you see what is going on here, though? Look at these two. Those words are plural. He says, we ask or imagine because it's his power at work within who? Say it out loud, who? Us. That's fascinating to me. Don't, don't miss that. It's through all of us who are the body of Christ that God is working to accomplish his purposes. Uh, the first week of this, I did this thing on a movement of prayer and uh, all about the book of Nehemiah. If you, if you know the story, you can go back and refresh, but Nehemiah... Uh, he, he literally goes before the king and he asks the king if he can go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He prays, he laments over it, confesses his sin. And then he asks us God, he asks God, would, would you help me to do what I can't do on my own? And he goes and asks the king and the king releases him and he goes and inspects the wall and then the people get working. And he begins to organize the people. And if you read the story, they met opposition right away. Sanballat and Tobias, right away. Uh, you read the story, their strength began giving out and, and Nehemiah prayed and he prayed and he prayed. 52 days later, the wall was completed and all of the enemies of Nehemiah and the Israelite people 
made this statement, Nehemiah 6, that there's no way that could have happened apart from God doing it with them. But a part of the story that gets missed and gets lost is Nehemiah 3. You look it up and you can see why. Because it literally lists all the people. All the people. And I took my Bible. I'll show it to you. I took my Bible and I circled every time in Nehemiah 3, there's this phrase, next to them, next to them, next to him, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, the son of Mesh-Azebel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Bena, also made repairs. Next to them, repairs were made. Next to him, with the help of his daughters, next to him, next to them, next to him, 21 times I have, and I might have missed some, I have circled next to him, next to them. That when I read this and it's plural, I realize this, that it's his work. It's his work. And it is his work through all of us that we stand shoulder to shoulder. I love this in Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come, Paul says, and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving, what's that? Side by side for the faith of the gospel. His power is at work in us, all of us collectively. We all have a part. We all do this. It's through all of us. Then he says this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The glory of God is found in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I wrote down in my Bible this, is that when I read this prayer, we resolve to shine the lights bright on Jesus. Like Jesus is the big deal. Jesus is the Savior who rescues us from our sin and saves us. Jesus is the Lord who beats sin, death, and Satan. Jesus is the King who rules and reigns in our hearts and will reign forevermore. Jesus is the one who first loved us, so therefore we love him. Jesus is the bride, is the groom of the church, the builder of his church. He's the head of his body, the shepherd of his people. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the big deal. He always has been. He always will be. We resolve to keep him the big deal. I often say this, that if people come here and they're more enthralled and impressed with Grace Church than they are in Jesus, we swung and missed. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. He says, throughout all what? Generations. Throughout all generations. I, I write this, this way in my Bible. We resolve to invest our lives in a way that will outlast our lives. God's vision for his church is multi-generational. Did you know that? We will bring glory to God in his church when we intentionally and without apology reach out to the next generation. It's one of the things I love about our campus here. Uh, we have gray-haired people. We have no-haired people, purple-haired people, all kinds of crazy-haired people. <laughs> we have a mandate to infiltrate and take this gospel movement with a life-giving, hope-splattering message to the next generation. I've shared this before. One of the saddest passages in all the Bible is Judges 2.9. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. 
another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. May that never be. Instead, if I could just take the time to do this, instead I pray this. The book of Psalms, I was just thinking this, the book of Psalms just came to me. Verse chapter 78, the book of Psalms says this, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he's done, the decrees for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. The vision here is this, to, to resolve to tell the next generation, to build relationships with the next generation, to resolve to pray for the next generation, to resolve to be real with the next generation, to resolve to be relevant to the next generation, to resolve to invest in the next generation. You see, here's the deal. This culture of discipleship, this mindset of investment is wrapped in a movement of prayer a movement of prayer that believes that God is able God who has done great things and is still doing them. And so we're going to pray able God-sized prayers because we believe his power is at work in all of us to shine the lights bright on Jesus Christ in and through his church for all generations. Would you read this with me one last time? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, as we, as we kind of embark on this journey together, we just want to pray uh, first and foremost that you would just um, cultivate a movement of prayer within us as people, uh, in small groups, in families, in in different ministries that we get to serve uh, with each other, uh, alongside of with friendships, that we would um, that we would uh, lean into you, so that our church would do what only you can do. That we don't want to go where you're not going. We don't want to do any of these things on our own effort, but we want to come alongside of where you're already working. And so I pray that just in our own hearts, that we would trust and lean into you, and that prayer would be our first response. That prayer would kind of be the lifeblood of our of our relationships and of our ministries and of our decisions and of our, our energy that we would turn to you first in all these things. And so stir that movement of prayer within us that we wouldn't be people that think that we can go on our own, but that we would lean into what you're doing first. Father, we would pray that just among us, you would stir a culture of discipleship, that through all of us embracing and understanding that we are your ambassadors and we have the opportunity uh, to share and live out and articulate the good news of the gospel uh, for all people. And uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you allow us, uh, you allow us to be part of your story, and uh, we have a significant role and responsibility here, and I pray that we would uh, readily embrace that in a way that uh, lives differently uh, for those around us, that we would see others the way that you do, and uh, find with joy just the opportunity to live in response uh, to the grace that you first showed us. Jesus, we believe you're the king. And I pray that advancing your kingdom would be our primary investment. Here's a group of people. 
I pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that you'd help us to seek first your kingdom. We're so grateful for the fact that you are Savior, Lord, and King, and I pray that you would help us to live and invest our lives in such a way that they'll outlast our lives, that 20, 30, 40 years from now, that people who may never know our name would know the name of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.